All right, good evening, everybody. Please turn your Bibles to Romans 4 tonight. That's where we'll be. Romans 4. <clears throat> we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and be in your presence, to sing worship songs to you, to settle our hearts, settle our minds, get in that place where we can receive from you. We thank you for that gift you've given us of song. Um, we pray that as we've prepared our hearts, that it would be good soil, ready to receive everything you have for us, that your word would be planted deeply into our hearts and would bear uh, fruit, Lord. That the roots would be stable, that the cares of this life and um, the birds of the air, none of it would affect your word that's sown tonight. Uh, we just thank you for Paul's heart, his desire to write down and explain and stabilize the faith of the Romans through the word, through um, your leading, so that they don't have to waffle. They don't have to go off of their own thoughts and guess uh, at how they're supposed to worship you. So we thank you for having this written down for us so we can hold it in our hands and we can study it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's such a blessing, this chapter. Paul has a such a heart for grace, such a heart for that. Paul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, um, in the Sanhedrin, top Jew in the religious world, he understood the, the futility of it, how it didn't lead anywhere but to condemnation. It only brought him to that place of guilt and shame and worthlessness and, and actually enraged him enough to want to stand at the feet of those who stoned Stephen to persecute this church that was so loving and so joyful and so content, it drew him crazy. And so he went out to persecute. And in the process of the persecution, Jesus entered and taught him grace. So Paul is very strong on this. That's why we believe he's the author of Hebrews. I know he's the author of Romans. And you'll hear some of those same notes, although we don't know for sure who the author of Hebrews is. You'll, you'll hear those same notes in this book and throughout his epistles, similar ways of saying things and the same heart of trying to express because it doesn't seem like anybody else has that same desire to break free from legalism and into grace that Paul does. Paul just has this heart. And so as he's writing to the Romans, not sure if he'll ever get there or not, as he's in Corinth right now, he does eventually get there, but wasn't sure. He had a problem, and you can read about it in Galatians, and we'll read a little bit about it. I've got a couple chapters we've got to read in Galatians to understand Paul's heart. We'll talk about a cross-reference, you know. But when he wrote to the Galatians, he was upset and furious with those who had come in behind this beautiful grace that the people had received and the Judaizers would come in behind and tell them, that's not enough. You need more. There's a second thing that has to happen. And Paul expresses his feelings in not so subtle words in Galatians, <laughs> calling them foolish. Who's bewitched you? This didn't come from Jesus. What you learned after I left from you is not from God. And he tried to explain that to them. And so we'll see notes of that here in this chapter four. It's amazing. And I have a whiteboard. You, Well, here we go, right? And four different colors. I know. You are going to be blessed. 
if I can figure it out. I was trying to figure out how to draw it, and I want to make sure I did it right. So I kind of did it like this. So now you know what it's going to look like when you're done. Spoiler alert. Make sure I spelled the names right and everything, you know. So you didn't see my ignorance. I hope it helps, though. That's my heart. When I taught Sunday school, and those of you who are Sunday school teachers, you know what that's like. You, you get the text, you know what you're supposed to teach, you're like, boy, but I really want to drive it home as you have an object lesson of some kind, so they get the, they get the picture. I hope this helps you understand this, because chapter 4 is essential. He says this in verse 1, about Abraham and his faith. That's the focus tonight, Abraham and his faith. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So we have a basic um, understanding of our faith. Grace is something that you can't earn. Many of you know this and heard this several times, but it's important to remind ourselves of this. If it's owed to you, if salvation is owed to you because you've done such a good job, then it's no longer grace. It's not free. It's not given. It's earned. It's required. It's always a funny thing when you go up to your employer after they hand you their paycheck and you say, thank you. I'm not saying thank you. I mean, you can say thank you if you want to, but you earned it. You have no obligation to give any kind of gratitude to that boss. You gave them your time. You gave them your effort. You gave them exactly what you said you'd give them. Now, they, are, they owe you exactly what they said they give you in return. There is no thank you necessary. There is no gratitude necessary. That's what Paul's talking about. Once you begin to step into the law and begin to try to attain God's favor through the law, he owes you. And that's a problem. And Paul's going to try to describe that. He's trying to express what he's gone through. He's not saying, uh, you're foolish for doing this. He says, I've been the fool. I've gone down this road farther than any of you will ever go, and it's a dead end. What I have found in Christ makes all that dung compared to what I've found in the grace of Jesus Christ. And we have to hold on to that and understand that. What has Abraham, our father, found in the flesh? Nothing. He's found nothing in the flesh. The scripture that he refers to there in chapter 3, or verse 3, excuse me, is Genesis 15, 6. When God comes down and tells Abraham, hey, you're going to have an heir, a baby. It's going to be exciting, you and Sarah. And he was so excited. He just believed God. This helps us to understand the difference between what some people say, if you have to believe, that's a work, and therefore it's not grace anymore. In, in other words, um, those who believe in predestination, that some are saved and just some aren't saved, believe that if I teach you that you must accept the gift, and that comes from you, from your will, that that's a work. And therefore, God owes it to you. Therefore, you've nullified grace. That's not true. Paul's trying to explain this to us. See, we get the understanding from this, from that side of things, or their understanding of these things, is that they liken it to um, Lazarus, right? Lazarus was completely dead, like four days in the tomb. And they said, don't open the tomb. It's going to stink it, you know, King James. 
And Jesus says, roll it away. I'm bringing him out. And Jesus called forth Lazarus. So Lazarus had nothing to do with it. It was by the power of Jesus that he called him out. And therefore, Lazarus got up because of Jesus' call, had nothing to do with Lazarus. Therefore, that is our salvation. That's That's how they express it. They're partly right. Except that that's not what the Bible uses to express our faith. He uses Abraham. We are dead spiritually, but we're a fully animated physical body that has the ability to choose and not choose. It's different than Lazarus. Lazarus was both dead and spirit. I mean, just dead, 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 you know? God describes our salvation like Abraham. Abraham was told that he's going to have a baby and he's 100 years old and the equipment ain't working anymore and Sarah's equipment ain't working anymore and he believes God. That's not works, that's faith. And God makes that the example, and that's the example Paul gives. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's the same thing that we go through. The gift of salvation is given to all and for all if they believe on Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins. It's up to me to believe God or to not believe God. Sarah didn't believe God. There's a lot of people that didn't believe God when he told them stuff. And it was not accounted to righteousness for them because they got in trouble for that kind of thing. But those who did believe God, it was accounted to them as righteous. And so you have and I have the same responsibility. The world does. The gift of salvation has been given to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes on him, it's accounted to them for righteousness. And God's righteousness is imputed to them. Deep for a Wednesday night, but boy, it's got to be clear, doesn't it? Because you're off one degree on this. You step into that area of works at all, and Paul's going to tell us here when we get to it, you step into that works thing, you're obligated to keep every single law, not the ones you choose. You step into that law, and you're obligated to all of it. And grace is void in your life. Now you're under law. Very important. And so Paul is trying to take them through a couple examples. Abraham is at this time an uncircumcised man walking the world. And God told him what's going to happen to him and how he's going to have a baby. And he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness while uncircumcised. That's the point. Fully intact male. I know. Now he's going to move on to someone who was circumcised that had the same relationship with God. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David, circumcised from his youth, but had the same relationship that Abraham had, also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, puts righteousness on them, gives them righteousness. That word imputes is a word worthy of study. Find all the, look it up in the thesaurus. Try to grab as many words as possible so we have a good understanding of what impute means. It is simply bestowed. It's given. It's placed upon. The righteousness of God with Christ is placed upon you. I don't want to keep throwing things at you, Mick, but I'm doing this. I'll I'll use my left hand now. Yeah. David describes that because he loved it. Here's what he wrote in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. 
goes both ways. You can impute righteousness or you can impute sin. God decides not to impute sin and chooses to impute righteousness upon those who believe on him. David did. And David wrote Thanksgiving Psalms about that all day long. So happy about it. Verse 9. Does this blessedness that David just described then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, I just told you. In Genesis 15, 6, it was while he was uncircumcised. So Paul answers, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. That's one of those paragraphs. It's like, "Mm," you know, got to unravel that a little bit. It's very simple, though, is what he's trying to say. And hopefully this picture that I'm about to draw will help. Paul is frustrated because although he's speaking to the Romans, where you've got some Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, completed Jews, and you've got some Gentiles who believed on Jesus, there is this misunderstanding between the two groups. And probably not so much the Gentiles, but more along the lines of the Jews, because the Jews thought it necessary to say, thank you, thank you, we're all saved. And as soon as Paul would step out of the room, these guys would come over and say, you're going to get circumcised. You know, and all the Gentiles crossed their legs and said, "Uh, why? And so Paul tries to explain it to both groups so that that doesn't take place in the church, is that no, Abraham is the father of both groups. And that's why it happened the way it happened. He was saved, accounted righteous while uncircumcised. Then he got circumcised because God knew later on all the Jews were going to be circumcised. So I get both groups. Now let's turn to Galatians and spend some time there. It's going to be a while, but we have time. It's a short chapter so we can get through this and do it correctly. The whole book of Galatians is sort of a, well, it's a rebuke. This beautiful church who started off by just hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, receiving the grace and forgiveness that God had, and the sin was lifted off of their shoulders like a heavy backpack thrown to the ground, and they're just walking in the newness of life. And then someone came in and did exactly what Paul is trying to protect Rome from and said, yeah, but you got to be a Jew first. That's the route. To have a Jewish Messiah, Jesus, you have to be a Jew first. So I'm glad you Gentiles are saved, but we need to get this straightened out. You need to proselytize into the Jewish faith, and then you can have our Jewish Savior. And they said, Paul's like, no, 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 no. So he calls them on it because they've begun the process. The circumcisions are flying. The rules are, well, they're neck deep now. And so Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, exclamation point. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. This is my question for you. Did you receive the Spirit 
by the works of the law? Is that how you were born again? Is that how your spirit was revived? Because you read the law and all of a sudden you went boink and you woke up? Or by the hearing of faith? By the hearing of faith? It's a rhetorical question. It was because you just sat there. You didn't know anything about the law. You didn't know anything about that. I just told you that your sins, the wrong things you've done against God, have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. You believed me and you received it with gladness. That's how you were born again. That's how you were filled with the Spirit. What makes you think now you're going to complete that work by going over here to the law? The law people need to come to you. I'm a little fiery tonight. Sorry. But it's so clear And Paul's upset, so I guess I can be too. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Why are these things happening? Why do you feel set free? Why are you walking in the newness of life? Why are, you, why are you no longer bound to sin? Is it because you've decided to start following the law now or because of faith? Why are miracles happening among you? Why is the Spirit moving amongst you? Is it because you're now doing the law? Or because God's working through you through faith? You can't, make, you can't improve this. This grace. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness... His same drum, he's still pounding it. Therefore, know that only those who are of the, our faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So when those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now he goes on and on and on here, but you can see it's the same tone as Romans that we're just reading. This is a common problem. It hasn't changed. That problem is still the same today. When I believed on Jesus Christ for my salvation, I didn't know the right way to do it. I didn't know that I probably did it wrong. I had people that came to our church and I protected you from these people because they were crazy. They sat in my living room and said, how did you get saved? This couple. I said, well, I was watching a, a, a VHS deep, you know, a VHS tape, you know, my barracks. And I, I was on tape number three. Back then you had a lot of tapes when it was a long movie. Jesus of Nazareth. They were nailing Jesus to the cross 3 a.m. in the morning. I start bawling like a baby and receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Nobody led me in a prayer. Nobody witnessed it. I didn't do a big testimony thing. I didn't come forward. I didn't raise my hand. I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew is I was a broken vessel before God for the first time in my life. I was born again. It was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. I'd never forget that moment. I can picture it vividly in my mind. The guys would fall, falling asleep. Most boring movie in the world, more than likely to these guys. But for me, I'm just like, broken mess. I was a puddle. And just please don't wake up. Try to cry as softly as possible. But I was, I mean, mucus. I mean, it was bad. Totally different. And their response to that story was what you'd expect from a legalist. I don't even want to go into it. It just makes me mad because they were trying to do that here amongst you. I frustrated them so many times. They come over and say, J.D., we'd like to discuss some things with you. All right, discuss away. Got any questions? 
I don't hear a question mark. I hear a lot of statements. I hear a lot of monologuing. I hear a lot of this. What's your question? I'd love to help you spiritually. I kept staying that above. I'm your pastor. I'd love to help you. As a pastor can lead spiritually, how can I help you? How can I help you? They were trying to teach me, and I would not put myself under their teaching. That frustrated them. And so he'd respond with these big, long emails like this, and I'd respond with, you know, the verse says this. Well, I want, don't respond so quickly. Think about these things a little bit more. I don't need to. God bless you. We're out. And they finally left and moved. They were trying to pull us all under that condemnation, pull us all into that group. It's like, no, you guys aren't reading. You don't understand Paul's frustration. That's why I'm so powerful. I'm so strong about this. My salvation was not typical. Great. Thank goodness. Who wants to pigeonhole it? And so Paul calls these Galatians out. He says, why are you being so foolish thinking that this salvation, this beautiful moment you had with God is not going to be perfected by some sort of religion, some sort of ceremony, some sort of events, some sort of external things in the flesh. How can that possibly improve upon the life of the spirit? Paul's saying, I was in this neck deep. And when I found the life in the spirit, I was just absolutely set free. Please, whatever you do, don't put those shackles. Difficult. Galatians 5. I turned away from it because I thought, well, let's let's read it. Because he talks about circumcision. It's the same problem. Paul's conclusion, or close to the conclusion for the Galatians, was this. Stand fast. Stand firm. Be resolute, don't move, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. This is a pretty strong statement. You want to move from grace and mercy and go into the law? Void. It's all law. You better live it and be perfect. And if you don't, you have no other sacrifice to apply to your sin because you've rejected the way of salvation, which is grace through faith. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. That's where that term comes from. Not someone who loves Jesus and sins. They haven't fallen from grace. They're neck deep in it. They rely on it more than ever when they're in sin. No, the people that fall from grace are those that fall after the law. They fall from grace. Dangerous. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Love fulfills the law. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth, he says. This persuasion does not come from him, Jesus, who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's going to affect every area of your life if you step into that zone, is what he's saying. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. And he means exactly what you think he means there. 
For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, you fulfilled the whole law. Focus on that. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Then he goes on to walking in the spirit. We don't have time for all that, but it's beautiful. I better read it. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. (laughs) This is so essential. Hold on, let me pause for effect or whatever. Um, The holiness we want, the desire to be obedient to God comes from salvation. It cannot be for it. It comes from it. As much as I want to be obedient to God, as much as I want to be holy and perfect and just a really good boy in God's kingdom, a good son of his, that's an honest, heartfelt desire, a good daughter. I don't mean to make it all male all the time, but I understand. Paul tells us how to do that. Walk in the spirit then. If you're doing what God tells you to do all the time, you're never going to do what the flesh is telling you to do. You don't have time to do it. You're too busy doing what God wants you to do. That's how you get that holiness going. Not by remembering not to sin. (laughs) Don't forget not to sin. Don't forget not to sin. And all you're thinking about is sin all day long. No, just walk in the Lord. Do what he wants. If I'm doing what God wants me to do, I guarantee it's not sin. That holiness I desire is not from remembering to keep a law. It's from being obedient to the voice that's calling me. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. There's a longer list. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, or in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the flesh. That's what we're trying not to do. But how do I not do that? Well, you do this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So do those things. You do those things all the time. Focus on those things. Memorize those things. Think about those things all day long. I want to be loving. I want to be joyful. I want to be peaceful. I want to be long-suffering and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-control. Focus on that all day long. Memorize it. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's fired up. Paul understands that. He spent his whole life trying to keep a list of laws, and he did it better than anybody. He said so, and everybody kind of agreed with him. He says, I was still miserable and lost. It's a dead end. And I found the way, and he's trying to share that with him. Verse 13, for the promise, back in chapter 4, I'm sorry, Romans 4, I know I'm all over the way, where are we now? You know, Romans 4, verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That was his promise that God gave him. For if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. That's all it can do. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, 
it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And this is where we do our little drawing. Let me read it again before I do the drawing. Therefore, the reason I've said all these things, he says, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise, which is what? Salvation, eternal life, might be sure, immovable, insteadfast, to all the seed, not just some, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. All right, ready? Here we go. Let's see, what colors do I want to use? I'll use these two. I'm going to make two circles here. I'll try to do this correctly, and I didn't practice much. I was at my dining room table when I came up with this, so. That's those of the law. These are the people without the law. Okay? We're going to put people that were under the law in here, and we're going to put the people that were not under the law here. Now, what does that mean? The law didn't come around until Moses. Abraham was before the law. His relationship with God was before the law. The law only started when Moses came down. Okay? So Abraham's faith that he's talking about is pre-law. Okay? So let's think about some believers and unbelievers um, that were under the law. And what I mean by believers are, now they didn't know Jesus Christ, but they were hoping in a Messiah, okay? Or they weren't hoping in a Messiah. We can think of some bad guys right off the bat. Who are some bad guys that were under the law after Moses? I would say, I'm going to write them down. I don't really want any opinions. I'm just going to write them down. (laughs) Because it'll mess me up if I do that. We got Judas, right? He was under the law. He was a Jew. Did he get saved? Nope. Son of perdition. He went to hell. Under the law, hell. Korah. Remember good old Korah? Korah was the rebel that tried to stop Moses from leading, wanted to take his place, right? Ahab. Remember King Ahab? Miserable guy. Under the law. But not a believer. And good old Jezebel. Nobody names their kids Jezebel anymore. And if you do, that's okay. We need to probably redeem that name. But for now, it's her. Believers who were under the law, people that were hoping in a Messiah, didn't know it was Jesus' name necessarily, but were Jews. Moses, right? We know he's saved. He's a Jew. He's the first. I mean, well, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got... um, Jacob, I mean, and all those guys. We could put Jacob in there. Jacob, let's put Jacob in there. He was hoping. He was the first Jew, literally. Jacob. Um, David, for sure. He was a believer, right? King David. Prophet Isaiah. Imagine he's in heaven. Miriam. I mean, she did wrong. God made her leprous for a while, but he, you know, it was just temporary kind of thing. She figured it out that she shouldn't be like that, so we'll give her a break. Now, that really doesn't have to do with circumcision, being a girl and all, but you know what I'm, you get what I'm saying. I don't want to leave the women out of this. Deborah, remember Judge Deborah? 
She was a believer, hardcore. And then how about Boaz? Boaz was a good guy, wasn't he? We like Boaz. Took Ruth, Moabitess, which is probably a whole nother, do a whole nother picture if I wanted to. Okay, not under the law, believers and unbelievers. Let's say believers that were not under the law. Adam, he's first. Didn't have any law. No law yet. So we got Adam. How about, uh, I'll say Abel, because Cain killed Abel. So we'll put Cain on this side. He's the, he's the bad guy. And then Abel was the one he killed. And then we've got, oh, I did that wrong, sorry. Not ability, but Abel. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down and it still didn't help. Um, Rahab, the harlot, right? She wasn't under the law, really. I mean, she might have believed. That, that could be sketchy. Don't, don't hold me to this. She might have believed on the God, but I don't know that she knew all the laws of the Jews. She just knew that the God of the Jews was the one, right? So, all right, give me a break. We'll, we'll do Rahab. She was a believer. She was a harlot, but uh, trusted in God. Enoch, that was way before the law. He walked with God and was not. God just brought him up. He didn't even have to die. He was a believer before Noah. Okay, so now we've got over here, these are the bad guys, the guys that don't believe. Um, um, the king of Sodom, does anybody know his name? Bara, B-E, or Bera, B-E-R-A. Um, and then Nimrod, he built the Tower of Babel, right? Pretty bad guy. He's about the worst. So we'll put him over here. Okay, now why do I do that? Okay, what's the big deal? Well, these are people that were under the law, bad, unbelievers, believers, believers, unbelievers, without the law. Abraham's faith steps in. I'm going to do a different color. The faith of Abraham covers these like that. And that's what Paul was just trying to explain to this. Abraham covers the people that were under the law, but it also covers the people that weren't under the law. And that continues on to this day, is the idea. Circumcision, no circumcision. I mean, but, but the, he is the father of all faith, of the, of the law and, and those who aren't under the law. He's trying to explain that to them. So let me read it to you again, now that you have that picture, and I, I hope it helped, maybe confused, but therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise of everlasting life with God might be sure to all the seed, all the kids that came from him. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham had to do that. And Paul is trying to explain to them, we don't need to make them, them, which is what's happening. You got to be in this circle to be saved. And Abraham covers only this circle. It's like, no, 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 no. Abraham covers both sets. I tried. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, not just one. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, 
so that he became the father of many nations. In other words, he had no hope in his body. He understood he was dead. He could not have children. And God says, you're going to be the father of many nations, and the kids are going to come from you and Sarah. No surrogates. We don't need Hagar, although they tried. Messed things up quite a bit. God still held true to his promise. Contrary to hope, it ain't happening. In hope, believed. I don't look at my own flesh as my ability to produce God's promises in my life. I trust in God to produce God's promises in my life. That's the idea. It's the same for us. The holiness I desire, the obedience that I desire is for me letting God do that through my life. I don't trust in my own flesh to do that. It's got to come from the Lord. I cannot get myself to heaven no matter how hard I try. I have to believe God. Here's what God says to every person on the face of the earth. If you believe on the son who died on the cross, Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. It's the same statement he gave to Abraham. Do you believe me? Everybody has to choose. We're alive, just like Abraham. Although I'm in the flesh and I'm dead in the spirit, I can still respond to that same statement. Do I believe God when he says to me, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and that because of Christ's death, I can go to heaven and the righteousness of God is imputed to me? Do I believe that? I have to respond like Abraham. I do. Or I don't. Abraham responded with, absolutely, I believe, in hope. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but I believe you, God. And he was sort of patient. Although he tried to make God's promises happen in his life through Hagar, the flesh, a fleshly plan, a fleshly desire, bring it about in my own way, tired of waiting on God. That's us sometimes when we try to fulfill in the flesh. If I just wait, God's going to do this work. So he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Here are the four steps or the four things, um, pillars, whatever you want to call them, to Abraham's faith. In verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. When it came to God's promises, he didn't look at his body as if, well, with this equipment, I don't know how that's going to work. He didn't even consider that a part of the plan. He says, I don't know how it's going to work, but God said it's going to work, so I believe you. I didn't bring my body into the equation since he was about 100 years old, it says. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, didn't consider that either. She hadn't had, well, menopause was way, way, way long time ago for her. She was done. Second thing. He did not waver at the promise of God. He didn't waffle in his, in, his, in his trust. I mean, we could probably argue for that a little bit. What's Hagar then if that's not wavering? Well, it wasn't really his waver, was it? Who gave Hagar to who? At the promise of God through unbelief. It wasn't because of unbelief. It was probably because of, I don't know what, but this peace in the home. But he was strengthened in the faith. And he gave glory to God, being fully convinced before it happened. He gave God glory, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
None of us have gone to heaven yet. None of us have died. None of us know if the cross is going to work. We live the life of Abraham right now in, the, in faith. God has shared in his word that Christ died on the cross for our sins because of, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I believe it, John three sixteen. And I glorify God in it. We come here and we sing songs about something that hasn't happened yet. We haven't been redeemed. We haven't been brought home. We don't live in the mansion that he said he's going to build for us. He hasn't come back to take us there. But we sing praise songs. We're in good company. We're with Abraham. We don't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. I guess that's what I want to focus on a little bit. Be careful about that. It's been a long time. I don't know. Don't waver. Trust him. And then finally, don't consider your own body, your own ability. That should never be a part of the equation when it comes to our, our, our salvation. Yeah, it's frustrating when we sin and we're not obedient to God and we're not a good son or a good daughter. We don't represent him well at that moment in time. But that should not come into the equation when we're talking about our salvation. It's a different thing. We're talking about holiness. We're talking about obedience. And sometimes saved kids are just disobedient sometimes. And that's, that's not a part of the equation. God didn't save us and said, now keep it, hold it, or if you're disobedient, anywhere along the line, you lose it. Well, now I've got, I have no confidence in my flesh when it comes to that. No, that gift of God is given. It's sure, it's steadfast, it's something I stand upon. I never even count my flesh into the equation because my flesh is weak and it fails me often. And I praise him all the more. Not that I sin to bring him glory, Paul says earlier, but from, and that's what Paul's trying to get across, from salvation, from grace, from this faith you have, that's where obedience, that's where that holiness that you long for, which he's going to get to, chapter 8. Let's finish up, verse 23. Now, it was not written for for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. It's a good way to tie it up. Boy, isn't he a good teacher? At the very end there, he just says that. We've been talking about Abraham because I want you to know it's the same for us as it was for him. Paul's trying to encourage the Romans, you've believed. That's it. You can't add to that. You've believed. Be encouraged in that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for being our teacher and our guide, leading us into all truth, that your word is the sword of the Spirit. And um, you've greatly affected us tonight. We thank you for that. You've made us more sure of our salvation. You've encouraged us. You've forgiven us. You've given us more grace and mercy tonight than we ever thought we'd get. And it brings peace to our hearts, Lord. It causes us to love you more. It makes us worship you. Because you want to make sure that we know. You don't want us doubting. You don't want us waffling. You don't want us wondering all the time. You want us to rest in the salvation that you've given to us, that we can rest from our works that we can thoroughly just enjoy you. And the desire of our heart, which is obedience and holiness, will come from that peace. 
not all tense and worked up and wondering. We can relax and walk with you. Help us to walk in the spirit, God. Help us to do the things we're supposed to do. To be obedient to you. And when we're doing all those things, we won't be sinning against you because we've, we've occupied all of our time with just walking in the spirit. Our families will be blessed. Our coworkers will be blessed. Everybody we run into will be blessed when we do these things. And the world desperately needs that. They don't need more law. They need to encounter you, Jesus. Help us to be your hands and feet down here. Help us to walk in the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you before you leave. Always have a good rest of the night.